Father, what a uh, just appropriate song as we come to worship you this morning, singing out that you are the cornerstone of who we are. And so, Lord Jesus, we just pray right now that you would um, speak to us in this moment of renewal as we're at the beginning of the new year, God. Um, We thank you that um, you are who you say you are. And we thank you, God, that you've brought us new life. And so, Lord, as we dive into the scriptures, we pray that you would help us to observe and to understand that you're trying to lead us to a place of repentance. That you, God, are trying to lead us to a place of restoration. And so, God, as we hear from your psalmists this morning, Lord, specifically, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what it is you have to say to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Happy New Year's, Christ Church. I'm Pastor Jamie, and um, we're glad you're here. Hopefully you had a great New Year's uh, New Year's Eve. I know that me and my family have the privilege every year of, of going to a close friend of ours' uh, house. They do a murder mystery every New Year's Eve, and some of you, including Chuck, who just wooed it over here, um, are there. Um, and so what this murder mystery is, is we show up at this house, um, and we show up in costumes, we show up in, and we all have these storylines that we're supposed to play. There's two types of murder mysteries. There's the murder mystery that you go to, and it's a dinner, and you watch the theater, but then there's the kind where you are the theater, and that's the kind that we participate in on, on New Year's Eve. In fact, if you look on Facebook right now, there's a really funny picture of me in Captain America pajamas, um, and that explains why that picture's there. So there you go. Don't judge me, all right? So, so we participate in this, and so what happens is, is early in the month of December, in the mail, you receive a packet, and in that packet, it gives you your character. And in years past, we've had themes uh, like the 1920s. We've done a pirate theme, and Chuck, you fit really good with the pirate theme, R. Um, and so, if you don't know Chuck, he, he looks like a pirate. Anyway, so we've done these different themes. There's been the, uh, we did Dallas one year. You remember the TV show Dallas? So all the ladies had to, like, tease their hair out real big, and, and I just wore a sheriff's badge, the cowboy hat. It was awesome. And so we go to this event. This year, I get the character Captain Amazing. And so my character is to be Captain Amazing. Now, the objective for the night, for everybody who's there, is you have to find out who done it. And so for everybody, that's the common goal, is you need to find out who committed the murder. And so within that, each character then has their own little personal goals, where they have to discover something, or they have to achieve something, or in the case of the murderer, they have to mislead everybody. And so what was different about this year for me is for the first year, I got my character package, I was so excited, and I only opened it to discover that I was the murderer. (laughs) No one ever saw the pastor being the murderer. But this year, my character was to be the murderer, and my only objective for the entire three-hour night was to make sure that nobody suspected me. And so what happened was, as I went to this party dressed as Captain Amazing, and I had my character traits that I had to follow, and so who I really am kind of ceased to exist. And I began to live as this person that I was pretending to be, and and as the night went on, I would lie, I would steal, and I would cheat, and even contemplate murdering other characters as they got closer to thinking that maybe I was the guilty party. And so as the night went on, my lies became so extravagant that I actually had to go back to my character book to make sure that what I was actually thinking was real or a lie. 
I became so confused in who I really was. And I'll be honest with you, the, the event ended at midnight. By the time midnight got around, the weight of all the lying and all this stuff that I had done, the trickery and the different shenanigans, was so much that I couldn't wait to let everybody know that, that, hey, look, it's midnight. I'm not actually a murderer. Like, this is ridiculous. And the weight of pretending to be somebody really caught up to me. You see where I'm going with this, don't you, church? Yep, happy new year. <laughs> and we do that in life. In life all the time, we pretend to really be people that, let's be honest, God never intended us to be. See, God created us in his image, and God created us with a purpose, plan, and a goal to bring him glory. And, and when we live outside of that plan, there's a weight to that, that it may be fun at times, and there may be a lot of shenanigans that come with it, but the, 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 the realness of it is, is by the end of the night, by midnight, when we live these lies and we live these sins, and come on, every one of us is messed up. We are. So there's no stones in this room right now. We're not going to chuck rocks at each other. We're all broken. We're all sinful. We're all fallen. And this is applicable to all of us. We live these lies, whether it's at work, whether it's with the people we hang out with, and whether it's at home. And we become so confused and so hollowed out and so emptied that when the new year comes around, it's why we all look so forward to that fresh start. Because we're created to be something that, that a lot of us really aren't being. And so we look to the new year and we say, this is a fresh mark. This is, I can become the person this year that I want to be. And, and when we look at the new year, we always reflect on the year that just passed, don't we? We think about all the negative stuff that went on in our life, don't we? Can I tell you something? You're not as bad as you make yourself out to be. We like to beat you up over sin and stuff like that, but I'm going to be very honest with you. There's a lot of you in this room. You're not as bad as you think you are. You're not as good as you think you are either, <laughs> but you're not. And what I want to challenge you to is you think back about your past year. What are the good things that God has done in your life? What are the good things that you've been involved in? Because we're all broken. We're all sinful. And yes, we have our junk, but we also need to be thinking about the ways that the year was good and things were good. We love this time of year because we like to make these commitments of, of New Year's resolutions. This year, I'm going to set out to be someone different than I was this past year. And we all know we're lying when we say we're going to diet, right? <laughs> Two weeks in, when those giant you know, cakes and things start making their way to our plates, we, we give in and we surrender. I'm going to tell you right now, God is all about restoration. God is all about renewing us. God is all about us becoming the people that he created us to be. It's right for your heart to desire to want to be somebody better. But unless you're pursuing the things of God, and unless you're pursuing Christ, you're going to be left hollowed and empty. And it's going to be 1159 in your life forever. And you're going to feel the weight of sin. You're going to feel the weight of guilt. And you're going to feel the weight of your lies tripping you up. And you're not even going to know who you are unless you get to midnight and you're peeled away that fake person and you recognize who God has made you to be. God loves you. God desires for you to be redeemed, for you to be restored. And even as Christians, people who are supposed to know all this stuff, we, we get worn down 
We get run dry and life happens. And as life happens, it it takes a toll on us. And and sometimes we're disobedient to God. And and sometimes we're just beat up and we're tired. And I want to tell you, church, when we're beat up and tired and, and when we feel like we don't have anything else, God is still there. We're still in the palm of his hands. And he is holding on to us. And we need to quit pretending that we're not. I don't care how messed up, how broken, how bad you are. God loves you. God desires a relationship with you. And he desires to see you be the person he intended you to be. Not Captain Amazing. There's a great story in the Bible about a man named David. Some of you, if you're a biblical scholar, you know David is known as the man after God's own heart. But if you know the stories of David, he's a murderer, he's a rapist, he's a, he's a guy that, let's be honest, had some issues. But you know what's beautiful? Is he is known in history as the man after God's heart. Because no matter how broken, no matter how lost, no matter how dark the room is, when you place a light in it, Darkness goes away. Christ can forgive you for anything. And he loves you. He wants to revive us, church. David had a worship leader, kind of like Brad Labakin, by the name of Asaph. In his court, David had three worship leaders. Um, These were men that, that were Levites, and they were very faithful to what they were called to do. And I want to challenge you, if you have your Bibles right now, or you can take your little... Uh, service sheet that when you came in, or if you want to open the Bible app on your phone or the Christ Church app, you can go to Psalm 80. And I want to encourage you to follow along with me. There were three worship leaders in David's house. There was Asaph, a guy named Haman, and a guy named Ethan. The particular worship leader we're going to talk about right now is Asaph. Asaph is a contributor to the book of Psalms. He's accredited with writing 12 of the Psalms. And the Psalm that we're going to look at today Asaph is crying out to God because as a lot of us do at the new year, Asaph is looking back at the history of Israel and he's coming to the realization that something is broken. Something is not right. And I think we as Americans can relate to what Asaph's going to because let's be honest, when we look at the the morally degenerate culture that we live in in the United States today, we're in trouble. There's Christians who claim to be Christians out there that take the word of God and tell people it's a gray area, that there's things in here that aren't applicable anymore, and there's certain things in here that that don't really mean what they say. And I'm telling you right now, if you hear somebody say that, that's from the pits of hell, and it's not from God, because this book is truth. I don't like everything in it, but I didn't write it. And neither did you. This isn't the MTO Bible that we get to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. And in our society today, we've got this idea from the intolerant, tolerant people that that we have to not offend anybody or hurt people's feelings. Look, the Word of God is here to divide. It's, It's here to hurt. It's here to tear both joint and marrow. It's biblical. Truth and it is hard for people to hear. When light shows up in darkness, it's not like darkness just hides in the corner. Darkness is defeated. It's gone. It's obliterated. And so I want to challenge us as we look at our culture. We are in need of men and women of God to be lights in dark places. 
I'm so excited about our young adult ministry because there's things being said of this generation that, that, that are awful, that Christianity won't even survive it. I don't believe that for a minute. But we're excited because we want to see God revive us as a generation. We want to see God revive us as a church. We want to see God revive us as a nation. In the 1700s, right before America came to really be a nation, there was a group of preachers who were called by God to not just simply teach people to be biblical scholars, but they were called to be the hands and feet of God. There was a pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards and another pastor by the name of George Whitfield who who took it upon themselves because God charged them to go out and to serve and to love people and to rally the churches, to not simply be one church here or there, but to be unified for the sake of the gospel. This America that that was existing was was in peril. There was no law. It It was a mess. It was a train wreck. And so these men made a ridiculous request of God. They said, God, we are broken sinners. We are here to be used by you, and we want to do something amazing. When was the last time you asked God if you could do something amazing? God cares about your traveling. God cares about your corn on the cob that we pray for. But when we only pray that way, we undercut how mighty and big God actually is. God wants us to be bold, faithful people who ask for ridiculous things. Do you know that? And all too often, we're not brave enough to do so. And the the reason I ask this is is, is because the question, or the thing I want to point out here is, is it that we're not brave enough to do it or do we really believe he'll do it? And as humans, we have fears and we have doubts, don't we? But God is mighty. And here's Asaph, this worship leader. Uh, Let me go back to my other story first. Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield went on to, to do something that history calls the Great Awakening. And in this Great Awakening, they called people to Christ. And all across the colonies, all across Britain and the world, people came to know Jesus Christ in a different way, in a a live way, where it wasn't this scholarly thing or this thing out here, but they came to know Jesus. They asked God to do something ridiculous with them, and he absolutely did, and he changed the world. During this Great Awakening, these guys had the the gall to go and, and to actually share the gospel message with the slaves. And as they shared this message with the slaves, this liberation and this sense of freedom came about that that we are to be free from the bonds of men and we are to only be servants to God. And then there was a group of American colonialists who got a hold of this. And the great um, awakening is the sparking of the revolution. And because of something amazing that God did, we can now say we're Americans. There's a lot of this history in our history that we forget about. God's people are called to ask God to do ridiculous things through them. And I promise you that when we do that, he will answer us. Psalm 80, we find Asaph, worship leader, house of David. Israel is really having a tough time. Because the hand of God, the protective hand of God has been removed from them because of their disobedience 
and because of their rejection of God. It's getting so bad that the foreign nations, uh, the neighboring nations, are declaring war on Israel. In fact, the northern region of Israel, known as Samaria, has fallen to the Assyrians. And during this time, there's a, a reconciliation that's happening with the different tribes in Israel. And so on behalf of Israel, Asaph writes this psalm as a crying out to God. And there's three things that as we go through this psalm together, I want you to recognize. Asaph reflected on Israel's past. You'll see that in this scripture, and then I'll walk you through it. But Asaph reflected on his life. And so the question I have for you, church, is, do you stop and reflect on your life? Do you think about where you were and where God's brought you? Do you remember the bondage that you were once in and the freedom that you now have in Christ? Or has that become such a luxury that you forget how awesome it is? Asaph reflected. He then offered repentance. Look, folks, we're not perfect. None of us are. We need to be asking God to convict our hearts of the things that are separating us from Him. And as a church, as a people, as individuals, we need to repent. We need to ask God to work in our lives and to forgive us for our sins, not just paying lip service to it, but asking us to break our hearts for what breaks His. Meaning this, that we repent because we want to have the same heart of God. Not because we're upset we got caught. So Asaph reflected, he repented. And then Asaph asked for a ridiculous request. And we'll get to that in a minute. So if you have your Bibles, Psalm 80. For the director of music to the tune of the Lilies of the Covenant, a psalm of Asaph. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face to shine upon us that we may be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face to shine upon us that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root, and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and creatures of the field feed on it. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see us. Watch over this vine. The root your right hand has planted the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down and it is burned with fire at your rebuke. Your people, they perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. 
Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty, and make your face to shine upon us that we may be saved. As you listen to these words, this is a man who is crying out to God, God, forgive us. God, as we look back and they talk about that vine, when they start talking about that vine, he's not talking about a garden. He's talking about Israel because you see the nation of Israel was led out of Egypt. They were led out of captivity and they, were, they crossed the sea. And when they were in the wilderness, God provided food. He provided manna. God delivered their enemies into their hands. And he said, I will give you a land. And he gave that land to Joshua. God has been faithful to the people of Israel. And in their convenience, in their enjoying of of, of what God has done for them, they forgot to love him. They forgot to be obedient, and they lost sight of their first love, which should be God. Here, Asaph is reflecting on that. He then makes the claim, oh God, forgive us, and he repents. And in that repentance, he makes a bold claim, and you know what it is. He says, Lord, restore us. Make us your people again. Do you know what the word restore means? It means to put something back in its rightful place. And when we say that we want God to restore us, it's not that we want him to restore us into perfect people, it's we want him to restore us into his children, into the inheritors of the kingdom of God. People who will one day dwell in his house. When we say revive, God revive us, the word vivo literally means life. And we're asking God to take something that is dead and to bring it back to life. And I don't know about you, church, but there are days, there are times in my life, and I'm a professional Christian even, where I feel dead. Where I need God to revive in me a spirit of passion for caring for people. A spirit of passion to read his word. And my prayer for us as a church is that we'll catch what Asaph is telling us and that we as a church would be praying for revival in our land because as I said earlier, this nation is going down the toilet and the people of God are standing by and letting it happen. And we can't do that. We need to reflect on where God has brought us from and we need to repent of our sins and then we need to pray for revival for this church. We need to pray for revival for this region. We need to pray for revival for our country because God is bigger than we're giving him credit for and we need to make ridiculous requests of our God. So I'm asking you, church, will you take some time today when you go home Close the door, go to your bedroom, lay down. And I want you to reflect on your life. I want you to reflect on what God has done for you. I want you to say, God, will you please convict me of things I need to give to you? And I want you to repent those things. You've got to be genuine with it. And and you may not be ready to repent today. (laughs) It's got to be in the timing that God has for you then I want you to join me in prayer as we pray for our church, our city, and our country, that God would bring a revival in this land, that God would do something ridiculous through us. Will you join me in that, church? It's a new year. we got a clean slate ahead of us, right? Let's set some big goals. I want to say this to you, church. We love you. 
Dear pastors, we love you. We pray for you. And, and I want you to know that if we're asking you to repent, that means God's going to bring some junk out in your life. And I want you to know there's people available here to help you through that. You shouldn't go through that stuff alone and try to figure it out on your own. And I just want you to know if you come to that time of repentance and you need to talk to somebody, please call one of us here at the church. Because we do, we love you. We love you, and, and we look forward to seeing what God is going to do through you. See, in that murder mystery, midnight came. And when I was able to be who God intended me to be, it was so freeing and so life-giving. And so my prayer for you is that you're not pretending to be anybody, but you're being who God made you to be. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for Asaph and his prayer as he reached out to you and reflected on the history of Israel. And we know, God, that in that history, you've included us, the Gentiles, in part of that story. And that ultimately, you will restore us. You will revive in us. God, daily we need to seek you for revival in our heart. And so, God, as we prepare to come to this, your table, we pray that you would remind us of the cost that you would remind us of the price that was paid for our reconciliation so that we could have life when we were cloaked in death. So God, we love you and we thank you for what you've done in each and every one of us. And we pray for revival. Amen.